Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Three presidents converge in Pennsylvania to rally voters for a key Senate race. It's a toss-up. Could go either way. Who wins will likely decide which party controls the Senate. Forty million people have already voted in this year's midterms. We hear from voters talking about the issues that matter most to them. The Republican Party has a good chance of winning the race for Oregon governor. We have an overview of this competitive race in the deep blue state. A Georgia Democrat is endorsing two Republicans. He says he has confidence in the leadership of incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. What do the latest polling models say about control of the House and Senate? We take a look at November 8th predictions. With the midterm elections tomorrow, all eyes are on Pennsylvania. The state will likely decide who controls the Senate. Over the weekend, three presidents descended for a final midterm push. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman is getting help from not one, but two U.S. presidents. Fetterman's running against Republican candidate Mehmet Oz, who only recently moved to the state. I know Pennsylvania well. And John Fetterman is Pennsylvania. He is Pennsylvania. And Oz and Pennsylvania? Former President Barack Obama joined President Biden on the campaign trail in Philadelphia Saturday night. Democracy itself is on the ballot. The stakes are high. Obama stumped for Fetterman in Pittsburgh earlier Saturday saying the candidate's stroke had not changed his heart. He said Fetterman's health struggle has not changed his values. Fetterman asked his supporters to get out and vote. My last favor of all of you is please send Dr. Oz back to New Jersey. And please send me to Washington, D.C. Biden and Obama also showed their support for Democratic Pennsylvania governor candidate Josh Shapiro. Meanwhile, former President Trump was stumping for Oz. He said the vote could be the difference between having a country and not having a country. It could be 51, it could be 50, it could be 49, and if it's 49 for the Republicans, this country, I don't know if it's going to live for another two years. That's what's happening. So you got to get out and vote for this man. He's a good man. At the same time, Trump also stumped for Doug Mastriano, who's running for governor against Josh Shapiro. Trump said Mastriano's a fighter and a warrior for the America First agenda. He is the only person in this race standing between your family and Pennsylvania being destroyed by violent crime. Your crime is destroying you here. Here's what Mastriano promised if he wins. On day one, all masking and jab requirements will end forever in Pennsylvania. You choose. (laughs) On day one, woke is broke. That's right. CRT is done. The Pennsylvania Senate race is a toss-up, while polling aggregate site Real Clear Politics currently rates Pennsylvania's governor race as leans Democrat. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And speaking of the Keystone State, U.S. Senate candidate John Fetterman, a Democrat, had an odd start for a Saturday rally in Pennsylvania. A sudden gust of wind blew down the row of American flags behind him during his opening remarks. As soon as the lieutenant governor took to the stage in Pittsburgh, he downplayed the appearance of his opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz, and former President Donald Trump, who would later rally with supporters in Latrobe the same day. I'm going to be proud of your standing 
with, with a president, president that is 100% no sooner had he finished saying that than a strong gust of wind toppled at least five U.S. flags lined up behind the stage. It is unclear if Fetterman noticed the oddly timed weather incident. Staff soon restored the flags, but the video clip went viral on social media as responses varied by partisan divisions. Many took to Twitter to taunt him over the incident, while others deemed it an omen about Democrats' fading prospects for Tuesday's elections. Let's zoom out to the national level. The midterm elections are taking place tomorrow, and most already know who they'll be voting for. The main topics for many are inflation, crime, abortion, and more. We hear what voters have to say. Public opinion polls have shown voters are very concerned about the economy, which is seeing the highest rates of inflation since the 70s and 80s, a period when a turbulent economy helped Republican Ronald Reagan unseat Democratic President Jimmy Carter in the 1980 presidential election. Inflation has impacted like so much, obviously, with gas, you know, just obviously being able to travel as much as I would want to, but also how that affects the, what's in stock at stores and how those prices are. I do well for a living, and so does my fiancé. We're currently renting, and, you know, right now as renters, this is starting to become, like, ridiculous um, for us to afford a place where I feel safe as a woman. Um, It's a quality community. But then when we look to try to purchase a home, (laughs) you know, that in itself is equally challenging. Another big topic for many voters this year is crime. I think the country is going in absolutely the wrong direction. Crime is up. Inflation is absolutely horrible. And, uh, you know, what you could buy uh, four years ago for um, the same thing is costing you, in some cases, double. In Houston, it's, it's crime. Uh, I think nationwide and statewide, it's economy. Many voters say that access to abortions is an important topic for them. I would like to devolve that power to the individuals to the women who are in those positions rather than have the lawmakers decide for those people. I care for what women want to do for themselves. You know, I don't think anybody has the right to choose or has the right to tell you what you need to do with your own body. You know, I'm, I have three sisters and I had a sister who had a few abortions over her years when you were younger, but I just, I figured it's something that's that for them to choose, not for the government to choose. A study by political polling analysis website 538 found that Texas is the state with the most political candidates who questioned the outcome of the 2020 election. But when we see the evidence of ballots being stuffed in the middle of the night, then that creates a lot of doubt and we can't deny it anymore. As of Monday morning, over 40 million people have already voted in the 2022 midterm elections. Heading over to Wisconsin, a county is already facing a lawsuit over the upcoming election. A team of lawyers is asking for military absentee ballots to be set aside just until they're properly verified. A whistleblower from the City of Milwaukee Elections Commission exposed flaws in the system. The official successfully applied online for three military absentee ballots under three different names and with dramatic flair sent them all to a state assemblywoman. The official has since been fired. One lawyer in the lawsuit said, quote, This situation is particularly egregious as it demonstrates how easily the military absentee mail-in vote can be manipulated. He adds that this shows the commission isn't following Wisconsin election law. The Wisconsin Elections Commission did not immediately respond to a request for comment. 
From physical to digital, the National Guard will activate cybersecurity units in 14 states to help keep election officials' networks secure around the midterm elections. This includes battleground states like Arizona, Iowa, and Pennsylvania, as well as Colorado, Connecticut, and Delaware. The plan comes after eight states received support from cyber units in the National Guard during the primary elections earlier this year. Currently, there are nearly 40 dedicated cyber units across the United States to help with network assignments, assessments, and risk mitigation. The units are comprised of more than 2,200 personnel. Mail-in ballots will continue to play a big part in these midterm elections. In fact, several states are conducting what's called all-mail elections, and one of them is Washington State. Let's take a look at one of their ballot processing centers. Washington State is one of eight states that conduct all-mail elections, where every registered voter automatically gets a ballot in every election. Workers at King County Elections headquarters are already busy processing ballots for the midterms. Oregon first went to vote by mail, then Washington State followed suit. Since then, you've seen Colorado, Utah, California, Hawaii, Alaska. More and more jurisdictions, I believe, are going to continue to move um, to vote by mail elections because of the accessibility that it affords their voters and the security. Washington State has been conducting all mail elections since 2011. And King County, which is the largest county in the state, adopted the process even earlier in 2009. The process itself works in four parts, sorting, signature verification and envelope review, ballot opening, and scanning of votes for tabulation. And all of the materials for this federal election will be retained for 22 months longer if there's a court case, right? That provides people the opportunity to have recounts. Um, if there's an issue we need to dig into, we always have a paper trail to go back to. Julie Wise, the election director of King County said, the facility has been specifically designed to process over 1 million ballots. The processing center uses people that did security in casinos and has over 50 security cameras that are monitoring the building inside and out 24 seven. Uh, what we are seeing is a record number of political party observers come to our election headquarters and want to watch the process because when they're here, they also get all of their questions answered. So what we have is a program of bipartisan observers where folks get trained for two hours. They get a tour of what's happening here on the second floor, our ballot processing area, so that they know what they're watching. Based on historical data, King County projects that 72% of registered voters will be participating in this election. Kwanzaa Hall served on Atlanta City Council and in Congress as a Democrat, but now he's breaking with his party to endorse two Republican candidates. Hall on Friday endorsed Governor Brian Kemp for Georgia governor. Hall said in a statement to the Epic Times, quote, While we don't agree on every issue, it's abundantly clear that Brian Kemp is a man of character, a strong leader, and someone who Georgians can trust. Kemp thanked Hall for his endorsement and called for voters to set aside partisan differences. His challenger, Democrat Stacey Abrams, hasn't commented. Hall also endorsed Republican Burt Jones for Georgia's lieutenant governor. Oregon isn't traditionally a battleground state in elections, but this year the Republican Party has a chance of winning the gubernatorial race for the first time in 40 years. In Oregon, the race for governor is between three candidates, Democratic nominee Tina Kotek, Republican nominee Christine Drazen, and independent candidate Betsy Johnson. All three previously served as lawmakers in the Oregon State Legislature. 
Johnson used to serve as a Democrat. Incumbent Democratic Governor Kate Brown is not running due to term limits. According to recent polls, Kotek and Drazen are in a dead heat. A survey by Nelson Research showed Drazen polling 43.5%, Kotek at 41.1%, and Johnson getting 5.4%. Another survey by Emerson College The Hill from late October showed a similar trend. Drazen received 36%, Kotek 34%, while Johnson polled at 19%. The Real Clear Politics average of various polls has Drazen leading Kotek by 1.7%. If Drazen wins, she would be the first Republican governor elected in Oregon since 1982. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, all Republicans, have campaigned for Drazen. President Biden and Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have campaigned for Kotek. The race is the most expensive ever waged in the state. The campaigns have received roughly $60 million in donations combined. Multiple models are now signaling a strong GOP performance in the midterm elections. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. Republicans are now projected to have a good night on November 8th in the Senate. A real clear politics model shows that the GOP will control the Senate with 54 seats as compared to Democrats' 46 seats. It predicted that Republicans will now likely take seats in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. Meanwhile, 538's model says Republicans now have a 53% chance of taking a majority in the Senate. In mid-September, the model showed Democrats had a 71% chance of maintaining control of the Senate. Recent polls signaled that Americans are increasingly dissatisfied with the direction the United States is heading. One from Gallup found that only 17% of respondents said they're satisfied with where the country is going. That's the worst of any midterm since at least 1982. Republicans have campaigned by accusing Democrats of favoring policies that bolster inflation and higher energy prices, as well as being weak on crime. Democrats have focused on abortion access after the Supreme Court's decision to reverse Roe v. Wade over the summer. A Quinnipiac poll from Wednesday found that 36% of voters view inflation as the top issue, while abortion got 10%. Meanwhile, California Governor Gavin Newsom says he's worried that a red wave will take place as Democrats continue to get crushed on their messaging. In other news, the Cook Political Report also shifted its ratings toward the GOP in 10 House races. All of them lie in districts President Biden carried by at least 8 points in 2020. However, polling experts say polls can have problems with accuracy. Analyst Lonnie Leitner of LS2 Group says polls are often based on answers given by four to 500 potential voters in states with millions of voters. He states that it is simply not enough to provide reliable samples on which to generalize about the likely outcome of critical races. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, New York Jews are turning out in what a rabbi calls unforeseen numbers. We hear some analysis on the main issue that's motivating this group to vote after this break. Long lines of Hasidic Jews were seen voting in New York City over the weekend. The Orthodox Jewish vote could prove critically important in the New York governor race. Republican candidate Lee Zeldin has recently won the endorsement of several Hasidic sects. We spoke to a rabbi to find out what's motivating the Orthodox Jewish vote in the region. Joining me now is Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Great to have you on the show today, Rabbi Menken. Thank you for having me. A large turnout of Orthodox Jews is expected at the polls. Can you give us some of the main issues motivating the Jewish community to take action right now? 
there's really one most pressing issue, and that is the issue of yeshiva education and the independence of the school system. The State Board of Education has decided that right now, after COVID ruined the public schools and the public schools were already in disarray, now is the time to interfere in yeshiva education. It is obvious to the parents that they don't want to lose their choice. It's about parental rights in education, and they want to keep their independence. Governor Hochul's Republican challenger, Lee Zeldin, is rallying Jewish voters. The largest voting bloc in Brooklyn's Borough Park, the Baba of Hasidic sect, endorsed Zeldin, even while supporting other Democratic candidates. Can you explain why this is? I, I think it boils down, again, to that same issue. On a lot of issues that the community cares about, especially in local politics, it's not about Republican versus Democrat, and they're going to go with the candidate who is most focused on their issues and able to help the community. And honestly, sometimes it's because they expect that person to win. With Lee Zeldin, though, it's all about that education where he has clearly spoken out that the Board of Education is going down the wrong road and Governor Huckle has not chimed in in that way. How much of an impact can Jewish voters really play in New York's governor election? It's, it's really a good question. The numbers are just not that huge. The numbers of the Orthodox community. But what you're seeing, even in early voting, we have people lined up down the block. So this voting group is absolutely coming out in, in unforeseen numbers. So we're going to see them have a disproportionate impact, whatever that might be. So crime and anti-Semitism seem to be issues that would motivate the Jewish community. Can you explain more about what they're hoping to accomplish? Well, uh, you know, obviously they, they view Governor uh, Hochul as very weak on crime because this whole thing with cashless bail, all the things that Zeldin has been speaking out against, she has been silent. And again, the community clearly looks at the effort to interfere with, with parental rights and education as motivated by a certain amount of anti-Semitic bias, given that the yeshivas are producing much more successful and law-abiding citizens who have good families and good jobs. These are, these are very successful schools, and the public schools, by comparison, are a failure. Why would the Department of Education be interested in interfering with the yeshiva schools, which are doing better if there wasn't a certain amount of bias involved. Excellent analysis. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the Managing Director for the Coalition for Jewish Values, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Still to come, the New York City Marathon sees two first-time winners. For one, it was her first marathon ever. All 50,000 runners endured unseasonably warm conditions. And bikes with one large wheel and one small wheel. Fans of this old-fashioned model are gathering in the Czech Republic. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Two Kenyans made huge splashes in their New York City Marathon debuts on Sunday. Evans Chabat won the men's race, and Sharon Locati won the women's race. Chabat won the Boston Marathon earlier this year, but for Locati, it was her first marathon ever. 
The 28-year-old was in a tight race before she pulled ahead of Lona Chemtai Salpeter of Israel in the final two miles. She won by seven seconds, finishing about 50 seconds off the course record. Chibet finished in two hours, eight minutes, and 41 seconds, which was 13 seconds ahead of second-place finisher Shira Katata of Ethiopia. Daniel Do Nascimento of Brazil had been leading until he collapsed 21 miles in. Chibet then took the lead and wasn't threatened the rest of the way. The warm weather wasn't ideal for the 50,000 runners. Race organizers said there were nine misting stations, plenty of water, and bananas and energy gels along the route for the runners. Over in the Czech Republic, fans of old-fashioned bicycles gathered in a park in Prague over the weekend. They showed off their skills to onlookers. This model of bike is known as a penny farthing. They come with one large wheel and one small wheel. Cyclists dressed in historical costumes and rode in formation to music. Others took part in races, but not everyone competed to be the fastest. Some tried to go as slow as possible while still keeping their balance. The event organizer says the first bike ride took place in what is now the Czech Republic in 1868. Penny farthings were invented around 1870 and were popular for about two decades. Then, models with two evenly sized wheels and chains took over. And in Chile, a video was going viral on the internet. A cheeky parrot stole a reporter's earphone during a live broadcast. The theft was well-timed. The Chile Vision reporter was speaking about a spike in robberies in the Chilean capital. That was when the parrot landed on his shoulder, took the earphone with its beak, and flew away. A cameraman tried to catch the bird, but it was too fast. But don't worry, the parrot later dropped the device, and the team got it back. The video has quickly gone viral on social media. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.